Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. It's real simple. You know, if you take a person's legs away, they can't run. Bear down, baby. Yes, sir. Bears fans, this is Take the North with your hosts, David Haw and Dan Weeder. We're going to take the North and never give it back. Welcome to the Take the North podcast. I'm David Haw from 670 Scores, Mullion Haw Show. Dan Weeders from the Chicago Tribune up at Hallows Hall. Hope everybody had a very Merry Christmas. We are talking to you a couple days after the Bears beat the Cardinals 27 to 16 at Soldier Field for their sixth win of the season. Dan, hope you had a good Christmas and certainly the Bears um, took care of the Cardinals. That was a nice gift for every Bears fan out there to go home from Christmas Eve pretty satisfied with the victory that they had to have. Yeah, no question about it. I hope you had a happy uh, holiday as well. Uh, a, a good chance to kind of step back a little bit. Uh, I saw you up in the press box on, on Christmas Eve, obviously. You were you were making uh, good work of that shrimp that they had up there for us pregame. <laughs> Three or four plates of that before we got into to that game. The Bears have really stepped up their game when it comes to, <laughs> to, uh, to media room food. I don't know whose idea that was. But you have to say, in terms of progress, they definitely have made a lot there. The the pregame spread and the defense are two of the most positive improvements that this team has I, has made in 2023. Let's be honest, right? It's it's a toss up between whoever is the head chef and Montez Sweat as the biggest offseason in season additions. <laughs> well, I'll be honest with you because I I actually think it's somewhat notable, and we don't have to get off on a major tangent. But uh, I was texting my uh, wife on on Christmas Eve because she was feeling bad that I had to work. You know, they were off at the family party, and I said, "Listen to the spread that I just did. I had, you know, shrimp with cocktail sauce." But I, I actually asked someone on the bears if there was like a volume of of shrimp that you could get to that would then be 
adverse to your health because I was approaching those levels as much. There was a Cabernet braised uh, short rib. There was a green bean casserole. I, I can't remember the halftime. There was some turkey slices. Of it. A whole a whole array of food uh, that that is, as you mentioned, much improved over what it used to be. And I don't think that is uh, trivial because I think that the man in charge of the entire organization took note of that after many years coming to the Soldier Field press box as a visitor and going, what is this? Uh, but needless to say, that was the start of a, a positive day for the Bears that ended with a 27-16 victory over the Cardinals. What if I told you, David, that the last time that the Bears lost a home game was to the Vikings that day that Justin Fields dislocated his thumb? That's a long time ago. That's They're a long old. time ago, and that, that kind of falls under the category of – progress and you wonder in terms of progress how we're gauging it what we're considering progress when the bears win at home as consistently as they have the past month i think the streak is now four straight games at home you have to wonder what that will mean in the final evaluation you cling to things when you're not where you want to be and the bears can cling to their defensive improvement they can cling to uh, maybe the running game identity. They can cling to winning at home as things to be proud of. I don't know in the final analysis what it all will mean, but yeah, they're they're a better team and a different team maybe at home than they are when they're uh, on the road. Raiders, Panthers, Lions, Cardinals. Those are the home victories, four in a row at Soldier Field. What I think it represented to me, particularly in the game that Sunday was, was that this team is, has ascended to a level of being able to take care of business in games that they should take care of business in. I think you looked at that Arizona Cardinals team and it was like the ghost of Christmas past, right? You looked at a team that was undermanned, that had a bunch of guys on the roster that probably don't belong in the roles that they're in, uh, doesn't have a t- whole ton of playmakers, makes a ton of sloppy mistakes. And if you're a good opponent or good enough to to hold them down, you walk out of the, the building with a double-digit victory, which the Bears did. They built a 21-point lead early, probably let their foot off the gas a little too early in that game and, and allowed the Cardinals to make a game of it. But that was certainly uh, two different tiers of NFL football teams on Sunday. And I think if, on an encouraging note, the beautiful thing is that the Bears aren't the one on the bottom part of the tier <laughs> in a game like that. They are. They seem to be climbing uh, and at least headed in the right direction, uh, which uh, a week ago felt like a difficult thing to say after they blew another double-digit fourth-quarter lead in Cleveland. And then you get to the end of the year and you start to project here. They've got two games left, and if they win out, then they have what they will, again, point to as Lions-like momentum to end the season. You look at the Lions last year, I think they won five of their final six, and now they're celebrating an NFC North championship. You, you, you can believe that if the Bears finish in similar fashion by winning their final three games and – and trending in the right direction in their eyes, that's the argument that Matt Eberflus will want to make to Ryan Poles in terms of why he should stay. That's the big picture argument that maybe Kevin Warren will point to in making some decisions. This is a franchise with the arrow pointing up. If they could finish with two more victories, that's a big if. Without question. And those two two victories in the last two games could potentially be, you know, direction changing in terms of which direction they want to go with some of the big decisions that we've talked about for weeks that they have to, to have to go down. You you heard me all last week say that coming off that loss in Cleveland, I was really interested to see how the bears would respond, you know, as a, as a collective group emotionally and how they would reset. And did they have the leaders that guys could, plug into and and get themselves back up and and motivated to play an opponent that obviously is inferior. They did a great job. They passed that test throughout the week. We talked during our, our uh, pregame uh, podcast preview of the game that, that, that they had cleared that bar for me. And I, I was, you know, iffy on whether I was going to pick them. And then I picked them to win by double digits and they won by 
uh, an 11 point margin on Sunday in part because they came out to start that game uh, in convincing fashion and scored 21 points, three consecutive touchdown drives in the first half and, and, and just put a chokehold on the game. Now, again, like I think you could go through it and find some areas where you go, Ooh, you know, once you start playing higher quality competition, this isn't going to last. This isn't going to be great. This isn't going to be sustainable. But again, there, there are take care of business games in this league and the bears took care of business uh, in a meaningful way on Sunday. And we'll look at some of the big picture implications because Maddie Reflux, we talked about that. Maybe um, it's a little too premature because they might still be making up their minds there as it pertains to Justin Fields. I said on the Mullen Haw show, and I, and I believe this, I think that if you were a, like a lot of games in his 36 starts, if you were looking for ammunition on the side that was arguing, well, you know what? He can be our guy. You found some plays and some evidence of saying, no, yeah, he can be our guy. And if you're looking for the other side of the argument, like, well, you know, he's too inconsistent and too prone to mistakes, especially in the fourth quarter. You also had evidence of that. So I think that you had both the good and the bad and in a microcosm in one fourth quarter sequence, 39 yard run yeah. on third down where he made it happen, uh, followed up by an interception where he didn't read the, the defensive back properly in a fourth quarter turnover in the red zone, you had the essence of the Justin Fields experience in Chicago. You know, the highs are very high. The lows are unacceptable. And I think somewhere in between, you know, if you have to uh, embrace that and live with that, you can. But if you also can get better than that and more consistency and with the same kind of explosiveness, you will. Consecutive plays that you mentioned there. <laughs> and absolutely uh Breathtaking fireworks show followed by, oh, my God, what just happened play that kept the door open. And, and the Bears have kept the door open too many times this year that you you felt that at Soldier Field. There was a, a momentary sense of, oh, my God, are they are they going to let this crappy team hang around long <laughs> enough to pull off another stunner? It was there. It was it was palpable in the building after that interception. Uh, Matty Berflus talked about that interception after the game. Justin did as well. Matty Berflus came back to it on Tuesday, essentially saying that uh, situationally, when you have a chance to put a team away, you have to put a team away. And when you get inside the red zone and you've got a 14-point lead and game situations tell you, hey, there's got to be a risk-reward management here, you've got to make sure you make good decisions and, and at, at the minimum – walk away from that possession with a field goal that pushes the lead up to three scores and ends the game, you do that. Justin acknowledged that after the game. He noticed. He said that he didn't notice uh, Jalen Thompson kind of dropping off, sloughing off, as, as, as Matt Eberflus referred to it as. Uh, the guy who makes the interception is covering Robert Tunyon in the flat. Justin's got Khalil Herbert with a, a linebacker and uh, trailing him, and he's open. And, and, you know, the question for me on that play – is more so did Justin make the right decision? Because I think there's a decision there that that is right to throw the ball to Khalil Herbert. And and by Justin's own estimation, he just needed to throw it with a little bit more velocity and on a little bit of a different line to get it there, considering where Herbert was in in uh in comparison to his nearest defender. Uh, but at the minimum, you have to make sure that you don't bring that other defense back into play with, with what kind of throw you make and the timing your throw. And that was a, a bad mistake at a time of the game where you cannot make bad mistakes. Everybody can look at the tape twice and three times and say, okay, you know what? DJ Moore might've been open across the middle, but the fact is that you're right. If the throw is a good one, an accurate one, one that has a little bit of touch and the right polish, it's a touchdown. And I think you look at the inability maybe to make that throw and it reminds you of other situations and, and when he has not maybe made the right throw or just put it exactly where you needed to, to put it. Overall, Justin Fields, 15 to 27, 170 yards, one touchdown, one pick. 
He was sacked once. His pass rating, 71.5. Dan, you can't yeah. get past the, the fact that, I mean, you can and people will and have, and they'll, you know, look at glass half empty versus glass half full. But in 36 starts, as you chronically chronicled so well in Sunday's Tribune, um, this is maybe the 24th time, I believe, that Justin Fields has not surpassed 200 yards passing. Uh, and I think that when you look at today's NFL, that's a that's a jarring trend. That's two out of every three games. So one out of every three games, the Bears are surpassing 200 yards in the air. 200. 200. I mean, yeah, like 200. Not, not even 300. Not even I, I 250. I, I don't know how you look at that and and think that you you have a too small of a sample size. That's a trend. And that's 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 kind of who he is at this stage, three years into his NFL starting experience. And I think if you are objectively looking at that, I think you come to the conclusion that you could probably do better. I, I think that's probably the conclusion that the the folks upstairs here are coming to, little by little, piece by piece, body of evidence by body of evidence. What did you say the rating was? Seventy-one five. Yeah, that, that Arizona Cardinals team came to Chicago with opponents posting a one hundred three point eight passer rating against them uh, in their previous fourteen games. I think there have been six quarterbacks that had gone over a hundred in passer rating, including Brock Purdy and Matthew Stabbert twice each. So there was an opportunity there, and and the the passing game didn't have the type of day and Justin didn't have the type of day as a thrower that you'd want him to have. I do think that his opening uh, or I guess it was the second drive, their first touchdown drive, the 53 yard completion to Cole Komet was a terrific moment because it's one of these plays where Justin gets outside of the pocket, eludes pressure. And instead of tucking and running, keeps his eyes downfield, his eyes down the field, show him that, Hey, number one, I've got a reliable tight end with a seven inch, 72 pound, <laughs> size advantage on the defensive back covering him. Number two, I recognize that that defensive back in Justin's words was quote unquote panicking, you know? And so, all right, put it up there. It's a one-on-one -on -one shot at the minimum. It's knocked down by Cole Komet and it results in incompletion at a maximum. You complete a, a, a big play down the field. It ends up being a 53 yard game with a great catch by Komet. It ends up being the, you know, the, the, the catalyst for your first touchdown drive, which ends with a Justin Fields touchdown run. And you say, okay, these are the things that have to be coming regularly. Once a quarter moments like this, that tell you that's it, that's it, that's it. Uh, and, and I think overall you see those and you go, it's in there, but it hasn't been in there consistently enough. Yeah, and I think even on that play, it was underthrown, but he made as took a shot, and and it was a good good risk to take. Cole Komet adjusts to the ball and the, to the pass, and you get fifty three yard you know reception, and that's that's the kind of thing you want to have in your passing game. That's the kind of thing they don't do enough of. Uh, and and that was you know you, that was at that point you thought, okay, picture this: it's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You know, one of the reasons I think his numbers are so disappointing is because the way the first half went for him. You know, at halftime, you thought this was going to be a far different game and it was going to be a blowout. And and then they kind of, the way the Bears often do, let them come back, let them hang around, and they took their foot off the gas a little bit, and it was much closer than it probably should have been. Yeah, and Matt Eberflus on Tuesday singled out a couple things. Uh, he, he talked specifically, without being asked directly about it out of the out of the gates, about the, the end of the first half and how the Bears had the ball twice uh, in the closing stages of the first half to go add to their lead and failed to do so with uh, some execution errors, some things that didn't go right, obviously a couple offensive penalties on the last drive of the half. And those are just situational moments that you have to rise up and meet that end up allowing a team to hang around. Better teams than the Cardinals are going to come back and, and, and scare you in a game like that. Uh, the Cardinals weren't able to do that. Matt also talked, when asked about it, I asked specifically about about the uh, third and one play to Roshan Johnson, which was the direct snap after Justin Fields had kind of wandered out to the right as a decoy on the play. Um, and I, I thought Matt's answer was telling in, in regards to the frustration with the Bears' inability to find something that they can lean into on those short yardage situations. We've seen these creative play calls the last couple of weeks, and, and there, there comes a point in time where as a play caller, as an offensive designer, you just have to find something that works. It doesn't have to be tricky. It doesn't have to be trying to catch a defense off guard. It has to be, this is what we're going to do, try and stop us, and we need, you know, 24 inches on this play and we're going to get them whether you like it or not the Bears haven't done so consistently enough and Matt seemed to be a little frustrated in that regard that they hadn't been able to develop something that is a staple to what they do that allows them to do that and he, he, he said that they've, they've struggled with the QB sneak which is something that you'd like to run in that area why maybe it is the the inability to have a, a, a center that gets the, the proper amount of push maybe the quarterback doesn't do things properly maybe the play caller just doesn't trust it enough whatever it is they're 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 trying trying too hard to get one yard and it, it can't be that difficult. And that's the biggest problem I have when we talk about Luke Getzey. There are other debates we can have about, you know, the structure of the offense and the game planning and all the things that have forced Chicagoans and Bear fans to kind of argue all season long. And, and I think, you know, I have been on both sides of those arguments, but the one thing, the consistent criticism I think is most valid on third and fourth and short, the bears have a tendency to either get too cute, too horizontal or too backward. You, you don't get you don't get 24 inches or a yard or whatever it is. You don't get there quicker by go by pitching the ball backward. It just seems like it's counter to everything you learn. Also, the jet sweep tendency that's a bit too much and too cute. And then it was snapping the ball to a running back after they switch positions and isn't that cool choreography? Just just line up and get it. You've got a yep. running quarterback. Take advantage of his skill set and get the first down. And Justin seemed frustrated after the game as well that in that situation, they didn't just go with something that was a meat and potatoes. Let's right. just out-tough them here. This is an inferior defense. They've shown it all, all afternoon. Let's just out-tough them here and get the yard and move it on. Instead, you're punting. And again, you're, you're just leaving the door open. And and, and look, uh, <laughs> one of the messages that I give to my uh, Little League baseball team is when the door is there to be shut, kick that thing shut. Because if you leave it open an inch, somebody's going to kick it in on your direction. And you're going to be like, well, how did they get in here? Yeah, That, that, that thing was supposed to be 
be closed and locked. And so uh, Bears need to learn that in those short yardage situations. A few quick questions about the quarterback situation before we move on, but I want to cover all of these and wrote them down because they are important in the whole conversation in the context of, of what Justin Fields and and certainly the, the future for him. When, when you talk about when you talk about the um, takeaways from you know the, the from from playing the Cardinals, beating the Cardinals, and where we are. When you watch the Ravens beat the 49ers, I want to know from your perspective, and you see Lamar Jackson doing what he does. You can project that could have been a Super Bowl preview. You look at the Ravens, the best team in football right now, five in a row. They 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 look like a team that's going to play deep into January, as they do. Is it fair? How will you look at it, Dan, in Chicago? Like, boy, the Bears can do that with Justin Fields. Or, boy, why didn't the Bears do that with Justin Fields? As we watch the Raiders succeed with Lamar Jackson, what's the right – I'm sorry, the, the Ravens yeah. the succeed with Lamar Jackson. What's the right way to look at that from a Justin Fields perspective in Chicago? Well, Lamar Jackson was the MVP of the league in his second season, wasn't it? It was his second yes. year, right? Yes. And, and, and he had like 3,600 passing yards and 37 passing TDs. I mean, I, I think there's a grasp to to compare Justin to all these top-tier quarterbacks when nothing in the production over three seasons has, has put him anywhere near that level. And that production isn't just about um, the strength of your arm and your ability to, to, to make gifted runs. It's about the, the, the feel for the game. And I think Lamar Jackson's feel for the game has been head and shoulders over the course of the last four years now, five years since he came in the league. Um, above anything that Justin has shown to this point. And the production tells you that. So I don't know. I don't get too caught up in comparisons because I'm just kind of stuck uh, immersed in, in the saga that we're living here in Chicago. And and that saga shows me a quarterback that I, I, I maybe the point that some people are trying to make is that if you had made him fully comfortable from day one, that he was here, maybe he would have unlocked some other things within his game. And, and, and if so, where would we be now? But the, you know, there's no time machine. The DeLorean ain't pulling up to 1920 football drive anytime soon with doc Brown taking us back a few years to change that we are where we're at. And we're at a point where, where the current QB one of this franchise is, struggling with some concepts and some things that that shouldn't still be causing a quarterback that is on his way up to the you know the top five in the league the struggles that it's causing him no doubt the similarities are obvious because of the two best running quarterbacks in the nfl and the numbers reflect that and certainly stylistically you could see that but as a passer i don't think that justin fields has really earned the right to be compared to an mvp uh, as Lamar Jackson is, and, and and he's playing like again. He's on his, on the verge of a second uh, MVP in the last five years, and that just isn't the kind of <laughs> comparison that is, it's it's flattering to Justin Fields. But I don't think that he is there yet. Oh, let me say oh. let me say one other thing, just because I know you got a couple other ones to get to there, though. There, there, there's also this this argument that's mushroomed up in the last month that because other uh, standout quarterbacks in the NFL struggle that it suddenly makes the struggles of the Bears quarterback comforting. Well, everybody struggles, so our guy struggles too. Right, he's just, he's just like them. I, Look at Mahomes. I don't. I don't know where this argument comes from. Patrick Mahomes' average stat line over 
seven years or six years now starting in the NFL. He throws for 297 yards per game. <laughs> he's been to five AFC championship games and three Super Bowls and gotten two rings. Like, what are we doing? Just because he's in a, in a struggle year doesn't mean that, okay, it's all the play caller and it's all the supporting cast. And if that's the case, then Mahomes would be doomed here and, and Justin would be the, you know, multiple time Super Bowl MVP in, in Kansas City. Like, the, the, the presence of struggle from other big-time quarterbacks does not equate springboard for current quarterback of Bears who is also struggling. Good point, and I think that's a fair one to remember. So after the game, you sensed Justin Fields. Was he feeling any frustration? I don't know, because two things happened, I guess, from a media perspective. He gave a, an interview last week with WGN-TV with Caitlin Sharkey where I think that it sounded somewhat like a, a, the beginning of a goodbye. It sounded like there was some past tense being referred to, and you wonder – if he senses what's next in terms of the Bears moving on. And then there was some frustration that flashed postgame when he was asked about a short yardage package that we talked about has been somewhat uh, disappointing. And he kind of snapped at the reporter who asked him, was saying, the, you know, I'll be happy when I get a positive question from you. And it was one of those moments where it's like, whoa, this is a guy that has handled himself really well at the microphone and been pretty composed and, and a professional. And he, you know, he, he deserves a, a pass if he's just going to do that. But I do wonder if you sense being out there regularly, some frustration building or the inevitability hitting him. So on the latter case, no, I didn't, I didn't sense that as frustration. I actually laughed at, out loud at that moment because um, that was Justin responding to a question from, I think his name is Sean Sierra, who's a uh, kind of a guy who covers bears home games. And, and this year has made his presence felt with some very uh, loud and emphatic question asking in post-game press conferences. I think you and I spent the, a segment of the podcast in October talking about what just happened. Why did everyone start screaming over each other to get questions in? And part of it was because <laughs> Sean Sierra had spent part of that post-game press conference shouting his own questions and then the people that are there every day felt like they had a fight for the for the time. And so like I think Justin was just expressing a season-long kind of like almost a uh, a laugh, an internal laugh of like, man, like I've gotten a lot of questions from you post game this year at soldier field. And, and a lot of them have, have been of the variety of, of asking me to address something that could be wrong or some concern or, or whatnot. So I didn't sense that as frustration at all. I thought that was uh, as someone that's, that's around all the time. I thought that was a, a funny moment for those of us who are around all the time, including Justin, right. Uh, to, to, to call that out uh, to your previous point, which was the, the interview with Caitlin. I don't know that, that, I would refer to it as Justin like seeing his future and, and acknowledging that. But I do think he understands reality and I do think he understands the possibility. And I th do think he understands that the bears are almost certainly going to own the number one pick for next April's draft, which opens the door to the possibility of handpicking his successor. And so he's not dumb. He does a great job of living in the moment and shielding himself from the outside noise, but he's still aware of reality. And I think that was just an acknowledgement of, yeah, you know, it, this week, David, there's a strong possibility that this game against the Falcons on New Year's Eve is the last time that Justin Fields walks into Soldier Field with a Bears jersey on. It's crazy to think about, uh, but that's that's reality. And I think Justin understands that uh, and, and doesn't see any harm in acknowledging his understanding of that. That's a good way to put it. And I think he is very self-aware. And it brings us to another point. So on the Bears radio network and <clears throat> the pregame show that – uh, Ryan Poles does every week with Jeff Joniak, our, our good friend and, and longtime Bears play-by-play -play guy. Ryan Poles basically referred to it as a quarterback-driven league. He was talking about the off-season evaluation of Justin Fields. He was referring to 
just a big picture, not anything that is earth shattering to consider a quarterback driven league. We all kind of know that when it comes out of the mouth of the Bears general manager, you know, within weeks of, of him having probably to face reality of now the next big decision you have is what to do with that number one overall pick, which is the Bears with one more Carolina Panther loss. Did you read anything into Ryan Poles reasserting the fact that it is a quarterback driven league? Um, only that the general manager of the Chicago Bears understands what the league is, <laughs> which is a good prerequisite, you know, to well, understand no, that. But yeah, I know, but, that, but here's here's the one thing that's, I, and I think that you you wonder that. Yeah, I, there, there you're, past asking, you're asking if there's subtext to it. Right? Yeah, I do. I, I wonder that because and, and, you, you and could I think go. There is. I think there is. Okay, because I think you could go up there and say, you know what, we are. Uh, a team with an elite defense. We have uh, identity built, uh, formed from our running game. And it's unorthodox, but we're going to try to get to the Super Bowl with that defense in the running game. And our quarterback is going to be a guy that is explosive. We're going to follow him all the way and not get his beat. You know, that's our that's the role of our quarterback in this sort of method. Stick with me because Ryan comes from Kansas City where obviously they were already succeeding when they made the decision to trade up 18, 19 spots to go draft Patrick Mahomes, they already mm-hmm. had a guy in place now, Smith, who was, who was successful at a level that, that allowed you to be a uh, division champion and a playoff contender. And they chose to take it to the next level because they understand that, that star quarterbacks are the engines of this thing. And if you get one of these star quarterbacks, you can become one of those teams that is for a decade or longer has the chance to quote unquote, take the, north and never give it back and so i i i love this i i love that that ryan poles is not going to be in a settling mindset i love that he's not going to be um you know sort of inhibited by the idea that oh well you know we're good enough at that position no it's a quarterback driven league you want to be great at that position when you're great at that position you unlock the door to a fantasy land that bears fans can only dream of the idea of playing deep into january every single winter it's fascinating to think about and i think they understand that they've got a chance to do that now look the counter argument to this is you better get the, the the quarterback evaluation right. And you're trying to do so in a league where uh, the batting average is historically low. You know, it's really, really difficult to get that position exactly right and guy, find the guy that fits with the system, that fits with the players and the, the play caller and everything else that goes to that next level. But you shouldn't fear the unknown and and stop yourself because you're scared of that you should you should chase that until you have it in your possession and and i think it's it's great that that ryan has that experience from kansas city as a little bit of a guide for him to understand how they went from a a pretty successful height to unmatchable heights you know the the ability to 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 go to five consecutive conference championship games the ability as ryan talked about when he took the job to to sit on a double-decker bus during a super bowl parade and feel the goosebumps go up your entire body like that's the dream you know and you shouldn't stop chasing that dream just because you're there and that for me david is why there's you know there's this like close enough crowd is what i'm calling them now um that in the evaluation of fields it's like ah well you know he's not quite to all the benchmarks that we wanted to lay out for him but close enough let's just stay the course there yeah, we did not uh, allow those people on the No Excuses tour, but they got on somehow. They snuck on. They got their own the tour going yeah. on, and it's louder. Exactly. And it's, like, now nobody can hear out of the speakers of the No Excuses tour. And, and, you know, when you are – look, a year ago going into the offseason when the Bears had the number one overall pick, thank you, Lovey Smith, it was then, well, you know, we parsed the language, and Ryan Pohl said he'd have to be blown away 
by a quarterback in the draft to, you know, be to to hold on to and take a guy like Bryce Young or like C.J. Stroud. And we fixated on those on that phrase, phrasing uh, blown away. And I think that's why at the end of this season, as he gets so close to this, when he when he when he basically grasps the obvious and acknowledges it openly and publicly, I think that's why it resonated a little bit louder only because of, you know, the the Panthers have to play the Bucks and the Jaguars. They're likely to lose one of those games. And when they do, the Bears will officially have the number one pick. Yeah, yeah. You're right. And, and and for years, we've kind of considered this the Caleb Williams sweepstakes, you know, and yes. so that's why I think it's going to be really fascinating to learn more about their process of evaluating the wiring of quarterbacks as much as it is evaluating the tape of the quarterbacks. Because as we talked about previously with Caleb Williams, the tape isn't going to leave you with many questions. You're going to walk out of there and go, holy crap, you know, like this dude has got the chance to to stand on a stage and, and accept the Lombardi trophy from Roger Goodell. Now, is he wired to handle the pressure, the criticism, the struggle? the potential failure, you know, the, the big market, all those things that are going to come with that. They got to have a lot of people asking a lot of questions, doing a lot of homework to get that answer as close to uh, nailed down as they want to have it. I totally agree with that. And, and I think that, you know, when I talk about Caleb Williams on the radio, get accused of being a little bit over my skis, because I think that as a football observer and, and whatever, you know, you see, you see the kind of talent there. Have I watched every USC snap for the last two years? No. But I have seen enough to be impressed, and I do trust the opinion of guys who do this for a living, yeah. who, who basically have a consensus. But I did want to ask you this, and this was the other thing. We talk about the off-the-field stuff. We talk about the character stuff, the maturity issues. There was a tweet over the weekend, and it came from uh, somebody who tweeted out, only one option for the Chicago Bears in the 2024 NFL draft. It's not Caleb Williams, and they tagged Caleb Williams. We want Justin Fields, and the answer is Marvin Harrison Jr., and Caleb Williams apparently liked it. Now, you could interpret that many different ways. But when the presumed number one overall pick of the 2024 NFL draft likes a tweet that says the Bears should keep the incumbent, it does create a headline in today's social media-driven world. What was your reaction to that? Well, my interpretation of that reaction was that this was a college kid keeping receipts and, okay. and basically, basically telling that tweeter xer whatever we call them nowadays like okay we'll see if you think that's the world they should go down okay sure gotcha like uh somebody i think subsequently had tweeted out another tweet that caleb williams had liked in which someone said you know caleb williams is the answer for the bears and and i can't wait to have him in chicago and he liked that one as well so um the problem is is that social media leaves so much up for interpretation and it's bizarre you know but if i am the people that work for the chicago bears and i'm doing the homework on the quarterback class when i have some time with caleb williams either in a 15-minute car wash interview at the combine or on a, a visit to southern cal's campus or or on a top 30 visit here at house hall i'm gonna say hey this tweet <laughs> that came out uh, around christmas time can you tell us what you were doing when when your thumb happened to hit that heart button there just i need to hear it from your mouth what exactly you were doing in that moment because it caused a little bit of stir here and every single thing that you do with your thumb is going to be as significant as everything you do with your arm and your legs on on sunday afternoon so i just need to know what was going through your mind in that moment because you're trying to learn the psychology of these guys as long as you don't interrupt him during putt-putt, I think that's a fair question. So, <laughs> he might choose darts. You don't know. He, may choose, he, might choose he probably will choose darts. Pretty <laughs> accurate. And then be he's, done. Yeah. he's a pretty accurate young man. So, yeah, I think – but that's that's the kind of silliness you kind of have to deal with and encounter. The first days. time that uh, – 
there was the Jordan Howard scrubbed all this stuff from uh, all the Bears references yeah. from his Instagram. And that was the first time on this beat. I remember Rich Camel and I going like, what do we do with this? Is this a, a story? Is it like, what is this? And that was the start of the era where like the social media habits and tendencies of, of athletes the door was open for like, okay, how are we going to interpret this? And what exactly does it mean? And you, you end up chasing your tail a little bit with that stuff until you actually uh, speak with the player themselves or someone close to them to, to fill in the gaps. Hey everyone, this is Brett Boone. Would you know it? I've got a podcast going strong in our fourth year. Tune in as I sit down with my friends, some of the biggest names in sports, media, entertainment, for a lot of fun and in-depth conversations. As you know, baseball's been my life. It's been in the family for a long time, but it's a lot more than that here. It's sort of like taking a ride in a golf cart around a beautiful track. Join me every week for multiple episodes on the Brett Boone Podcast, available on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, moving on from the quarterback conversation, unless you have anything else to add. I think there are a couple other things I wanted to point out from Sunday's game that was a very good developments for the Bears. Khalil Herbert, uh, 121 yards. He looked like the guy at the beginning of the season. Maybe this is the first time he's been healthy since the injury, fully healthy since the Washington game. I thought that was impressive. Montez Sweat continues to make his presence felt. I think Justin Jones was active. And Kyler Gordon had himself a game in the secondary. Um, For the most part, had a very productive afternoon again against Kyler Murray and the Cardinals. They were injured and banged up, and they are the Cardinals. But that secondary... At different times throughout the season, they've had one guy step forward and really stand out. And overall, collectively, it's become a really solid unit. Well, you mentioned three of the four things that I wanted to touch on briefly. The first being Kyler Gordon's activity. And again, like we talked about when he came back off of IR, like he's a guy you feel every week. And he's a guy that other people around understand is going to be assignment sound and uh, in attack mode at all times. And it just creates that heightened unity and belief. And we've seen that now for months. And and so Kyler Gordon deserves a lot of recognition for that. You mentioned Herbert. Herbert was part of a, a rushing day. The Bears chewed up 250 on the ground, David, uh, on Sunday. That was a, a truly dedicated effort to establishing the running game, sticking with it, using some Justin Fields scrambles to, to add to that total and really just riding that to victory. Justin Jones, I had a chance to talk to him after the game. It, it, three and a half sacks since Montez Sweat arrived. I think he had four sacks in his first, like, 22 games as a bear before that. And so his production is, has increased. And the sack that he had on Sunday, it was pretty funny uh, description he had of that because he actually got so much push on his rush, but Andrew Billings beside him got equally amount of pu- uh, uh, push on his rush. And they basically pushed their uh, blockers into each other and stopped each other. And so then Justin Jones had to loop around the backside of Andrew Billings to get to the, the quarterback. And then Kyler Murray just fell on the ground and Justin said, oh yeah, that's the kind you need. You know, like, you don't have to work for it. He saw me and he fell down. I didn't even have to put a hand on him. And so he was very excited about that entire play. And then I wanted to talk for a minute about Mercedes Lewis also, because he has the touchdown pass from, from Justin Fields in that game. And it comes off a, you know, play fake to Roshan Johnson, another play fake on the end around to Mooney. And then, he doesn't quite get out into his corner route the way he wanted to. And then him and Justin just play football and he stops at a place where the defender isn't the defender respecting Justin's legs charges up to, to defend a potential scramble. It's an easy touchdown pass. 
Mercedes was happy to go through the the details of that touchdown catch, but also was very quick to point out to the people that stopped him on his way out of the locker room that he was really eager to go watch his reps as a run blocker in that game. Like he was glowing with satisfaction in the work that he did as a run blocker. And for a guy who's going to turn 40 next spring, for a guy who's in season 18, for a guy who's just a bit player on a last place team, you understand the magnetism of Mercedes Lewis because he gets on his helmet and his shoulder pads and his uniform on Sunday. And he's like, let's go to work. And my work for today is going to be just absolutely demoralizing a defense that can't handle us. And so I was, I just, I really appreciated the pride and the satisfaction he had in contributing to that, that run game effort in a way that almost nobody watching the game in live action was taking note of at the time. And that, that dude is, uh, you can understand why they, they were so happy that he scored a touchdown, you know, to be rewarded for that kind of effort, which goes on behind the scenes on game day during the practice week all year long. And in the offseason, he's 39 years old. I mean, goodness sakes, the big yeah. dog that gets yep. fed. That was cool to see. I wonder, Dan, and maybe this is something they, they have already researched. I'm thinking out loud here. Has there ever been a Bears player any older score a touchdown? <laughs> is, he the oldest, is he the oldest Bears player to ever score a touchdown at Soldier Field or maybe in a season? He's 39 years old. That doesn't happen very often. They haven't had many, many 39-year-old quarterbacks that have snuck in yeah. the end zone I, and certainly not in any other skill position. I wonder if he's the oldest guy to score a touchdown for the Bears. Yeah, so some, somewhere in the almanac, we're going to have to look that up because that is notable. I don't, I, I bet, like you said, I bet the, the number of players that played until they were 39 is probably less than a third of a page long. And then you just have to see if any of those scored a touchdown. But a uh, cool moment. And Matt Eberflus lit up after the game in talking about that that touchdown catch and said that a, a lot of Mercedes' teammates went and, and just started barking at him. And so uh, here's, <laughs> a, here's, here's a little bark from Mercedes. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I have one more DJ Moore story before we go, but anything else you want to touch on first? No, that's it. That was a good uh, a good bullet-pointed list there that you ran through there. Yeah, we got a lot of stuff, a lot of fun stuff. I wanted to share this little thing with DJ Moore because uh, as we do this on Tuesday, the day after Christmas, uh, DJ Moore, as you know, is a regular every yeah. day after Bears games, 8 o'clock on the Mullen Haw Show on 670 to score. And he has been the consummate pro every week now. DJ Moore is going to get right to the point. He's not going to expand much. You've got to be ready, prepared to ask him questions. You've got to be ready and prepared that he's not going to maybe elaborate, but he has been a joy actually to work with because he he always shows up and he always is, is professional. He's so professional, Dan, that our show is 530 to 10 every weekday morning. We didn't work on Christmas morning. We weren't in there because it was a holiday. <laughs> so... We thought, okay, DJ, you're going to be with us on Tuesday morning. That was our assumption. Eight o'clock Christmas morning, the uh, Tyler Ferengold was in the studio at the score, manning the, the sub show, basically. The, it's still going on the air. DJ Moore calls eight o'clock Christmas morning because he thought that it was his duty and his obligation in, to call and be on the radio the day after a, a Bears game. We didn't need him. We still wanted him on the next day with, you know, a larger audience back to work. And he called 7.59 on Tuesday morning, just like he called the day before. But on Christmas morning, here's this guy. We saw him with the red Santa suit. We saw him kissing his kids on the sidelines before the game. Great dad. 
terrific player and consummate pro called in on Christmas morning. And then he called back on the 26th <laughs> to, to do his regular hit. And it was really a lot of fun. No, that's cool, man. And that, that's a, a testament to dependability, right? And we've talked about how, how easy DJ is to work with, how low maintenance he is inside the building. You're here at Ellis Hall. Clearly, as a, a radio teammate, he's equally dependable and, and low maintenance. That's, that's an awesome little nugget to hear there because it tells you some of the the character that's inside this locker room here to that note uh we will be handing out the chicago uh chapters pro football writers association good guy award uh later this week the jeff dickerson good guy award winner will be uh, named and, and presented uh later this week and so uh i already know the honoree i can't give it out right now on the podcast you'll have to wait till later in the week but there was a quite a list i submitted about a dozen names as nominations off my own ballot and then the three that we uh that we were asked to vote as finalists were Jalen Johnson, Eddie Jackson, and Cole Komet, who was last year's winner. And so that's three worthy um, nominees. I also would say that DJ Moore is certainly one of those guys that's in the also ran list that, that were very worthy of, of, of that kind of recognition. That's, that's great. Look forward to that. Also to close the loop, Adam Sadzinski, ace reporter says Larry Mayer, who works for Chicago bears.com. Obviously he's a longtime staple of uh, the organization, I think fan of the pod, a uh, friend of the pod. Uh, he says that Mercedes Lewis was, in fact, the oldest Bears player to score a touchdown, the second oldest player ever to catch a touchdown pass. Jerry Rice holds that record. He was age 42 at that time. So good company to keep for Mercedes Lewis. Big dog. Three more seasons and he can top Jerry Rice. A, a touchdown in 2026 <laughs> would, would allow him to take that honor away from one of the all-time greats. All right. Well, we're going to wrap things up. We uh, covered a lot of ground. Uh, Justin Fields and the Bears will be back later in the week. You can get us on your free Odyssey app. You can also watch us on the 670 Scores YouTube page. For Adam Sudzinski and Dan Weeder, I'm David Haw. Thank you for listening to the Take the North podcast. Great talk. See you out there.